Riley Stewart's a really, really unusual dude and I love filming this episode with him because he's totally different. He's a really, really innovative guy. He runs a company called DeFi Link, another one called DeFi Wonderland and also one called More Gym Members. He's had a really, really interesting path all over but there's one thing that's super consistent with Riley is that he's a high performance human being. He works really, really hard. He has a massively open mind and he's just totally in the pursuit of greatness and also success. And I think that anybody who wants to be successful in entrepreneurship, anyone who wants to build a team or just to have more drive could definitely take something away from this interview because it was really cool and I had a really, really wicked time filming it. All right, awesome. Thanks, James. Good to be here. Mate, I wanted to get you on here because, like, you fucking crushed it in a load of areas. I mean, like, you're smashing it in business. You're smashing it in crypto. Like, you're setting up some really cool shit there. Like, the first place that I wanted to start with this is where did it all begin for you? Like, where did you start with crushing it in business? Where did your entrepreneurship journey begin? Great question. My first business was when I was four and I or three, and I discovered that my grandfather needed he liked his veggie garden and I found that bees are supposed to help veggies. So I started hustling and collecting all these bees into a jar and I tried selling my grandfather all these bees for a dollar a jar <laughs> so that he could grow more veggies. And I think I sold two jars and then got bitten and stopped that business. But I just really loved it. And then when I was six or seven, I started flipping chocolate bars. I realized that you could buy them for $2 each Coles, lint chocolate. You could buy it for two bucks when it was on special and then I could sell it to friends and family and neighbors for $5 a block. I think by the time I was 10, I had saved up my first thousand dollars from business, which I think is freaking good for a 10. First thousand <laughs> when you're 10. Yeah. <laughs> I had a piggy bank and I smashed it open and there was 1K in there. I wish there was 10K. That'd be good. And then the real business started with more gym members. I mean, I had a business selling rocks for a while on eBay and- Selling rocks? Um, yeah, selling rocks like I would find. There's a few places in Victoria you can pick up some cool crystal specimens and I came home with buckets full of them and started flipping them to Russia. <laughs> Who buys crystals? <laughs> I buy crystals. <laughs> so Crystal what, collectors tell, tell buy them. Tell us about this. Please tell me about crystals. This is something I've never heard of. There's a particular type of mineral called olivine, which is uh, peridot. Peridot is a green stone you'll see in a lot of rings. And in Victoria, there's a volcano here, an old volcano that exploded thousands of years ago with shitloads of olivine and you crack open these eggs that are about either from a small potato size to like a basketball size you crack open these eggs and it's just full of green crystal like just a green crystal egg it's crazy and there is thousands of them so you just go through and pick them up there's not really many places in the world you can get them so i came back with like a ute full of them <laughs> and <laughs> Started selling them to the US and Russia were the two largest buyers, I remember. They'd pay 50 bucks a rock. I'd post it over. <laughs> How big's a rock? Yeah. So what's so valuable? Why would they pay 50 bucks for a rock, for a green rock? Well, it's a crystal. So okay. you brought your missus a ring, right? It's got crystals in it. So yeah. you got suckered into it. <laughs> you bought rocks. <laughs> true. I paid way too much for that yeah. ring. <laughs> so why did you do it? <laughs> you know what? It was funny. I'd love about diamonds. Is What was the old... Uh, marketing ploy they said back in the day like because diamonds are they're common they're not actually rare and they said back in the day what was it like 50 100 years ago however long it was they yeah. said that every man like if you want to propose to your wife you should put two months salary towards 
Yeah, it's crazy. No justification. <laughs> like that is the best marketing of all time. That's the standard now. It's <laughs> the standard. Two months out. How fucking crazy is that? But so is there any, because I mean, if you look at some things, i got a few friends who wear Obsidian, right? Because they, okay. f- they feel like they uh, get relief from anxiety from it. They feel calmer yep. on it, that sort of stuff. Like, is there any benefit from your ones? Look, I know that Perido has some properties that would be Sean's area to ask about. I never really cared about the, the properties of them. I personally, I don't feel any different around crystals, but I have got like a museum of crystals. Like you could start a museum with the amount of crystals. I've got big collector's items, massive ones. I just bought one that was seven and a half K and it's this beautiful from Pakistan in a deep cave in Pakistan. It's aquamarine and it's this beautiful blue ocean crystals coming out of this stone. They're very rare and I just love them. <laughs> like they're just really cool. I like how the earth forms them in this way that looks like it's man-made, like they've been shaped in particular structures and they all follow this nice structure and they just come up very beautiful. Since I was a kid, I found them very interesting. Mm. So there's something cool about what nature does. Really, really fucking cool. So, okay. So you're selling crystals over to yeah. Russia and the US. And then what did you start doing? After yeah. That? Then I jumped into uni and I did, two and a half years of studying a double degree in advanced manufacturing and mechatronic engineering and international business. Studying two degrees at once, I pretty much lost my life for a couple of years. And then I looked back after I traveled around Asia for three months, four months, and solo backpacking. And I had a job at that time in construction engineering as an undergrad. And I was so Sorry, you did it two and a half years at uni and then got an undergrad job. Is that right? Yeah, I got an undergrad at two years. Yeah, I was a yeah, construction okay. engineer. It was funny for the first like two months because it was in the city in a big, massive story building uh, right in the CBD in Melbourne. For the first two months, I was very excited walking to my big shot job in my nice suit thinking, yeah, this is great. I'm a big shot engineer already. I'm only 20. That didn't last long. It started to get real shit. It was just boring. I was like, man, I cannot work for the man. If this is corporate, like there is no way I'm built for this. So then I just left. Is that why you went on the backpacking trip? Yeah, that was part of it. And I was dealing with a breakup that emotionally fucked me up a bit. So I just wanted to escape for a while. And then, you know, did some volunteer work in Cambodia for a month. And then what did you do that? I was building houses for people in their villages, the poor families. They've got these nice bamboo houses. And I was up there with locals building their <laughs> houses. <laughs> what made you want to do that? That's not a I usual had- thing for a 20 year old to do. Yeah, I had a mate that did it. It's called New Hope Cambodia was the group I did it with. <laughs> Someone's interested in doing it. I had a mate that did it the year before and he just said it was great. So I was like, all right, well, I'm looking for a thing to do. So decided volunteering would be good. What did you learn from doing that? Did you learn anything? Yeah, Cambodia, like I've been to Asia six times of all diverse countries, right? And Cambodia has by far the highest population density of monks. Without a doubt, they have got more monks than anywhere in the world. There's like every third man is a monk there. And there's just monks absolutely like all through the streets. There's just orange people walking around everywhere because they're monks. <laughs> so <laughs> everywhere. Not, not not like actual orange, like they're wearing orange. They're wearing orange, <laughs> yeah. So you just see these orange people walking everywhere, like Goompa Loompas, right? No, I got a lot of respect for them. I decided, all right, well, there's lots of monks here, so I'll try to throw some challenging questions at them. So I started walking around to all the pagodas, for the month that I was there and I would try to find one that could speak English and I'd try to throw life questions at them about spirituality and their religion and where we came from. And I just try to see what they could say. And I think that whole trip just calmed me down a lot. 
like I was quite a aggressive testosterone fueled 20 year old. <laughs> I used to go to gym more than I do now. And like I was going six days a week, pretty buff and it definitely flowed through me, but it was like an angry fuel. So I calmed down a lot over my three months travel. It enlightened me. When I went to Nepal, there's like an energy in Nepal that I've never felt anywhere. And I was not spiritual by any means. I was atheist to the fullest degree. I just thought we were all just here and it was just a shit kicker and then we'll die. <laughs> and then traveled around Nepal like and that. Nepal's... Yeah. <laughs> it is... And then traveled around Nepal and Nepal was great. There's like an energy. As soon as I got off the plane, I just felt this energy. It's like, what the fuck is that? I started getting like these visions in Nepal. It's like I had these conversations with God. It was crazy. And then since then, my life has changed. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go back. And my purpose is not to work for the man. I'm here to create and I need to lead. I was reflecting on my life journey up to then and my traits. I figured, yeah, you're probably in a very good position to do some powerful stuff in the world, right? Like, relatively good looking, white male, living in Australia, good background from my family, relatively smart. I had confident. I had all these traits that I figured I better put them to good use. <laughs> I feel that one. So so let's, if we can go back to like with the monks, like when you're in Cambodia, that was what questions were you asking them? Looking for meaning questions. What's the meaning of life? And then you try to, in their broken English, see what they can come up with. The general answer I would get was stop trying to look for it. <laughs> just, it was like, it was like, chill out a bit. Just be happy in the now because they meditate a lot. When I came back from Asia, this is mid 2017. I did a 10 day meditation camp for Parshana meditation. I thought it would give me superpowers in a different way than it did give me superpowers. So 10 day meditation camp, what were you doing in that? Fuck, <laughs> Meditating, dude. <laughs> That's just- it. Is it one of you the wake up, ones or like? Yeah, you, know, you don't talk, you don't read, you don't write. There's no phones. There's no looking at anybody. It's 10 days of silence and no expressing. And you just wake up at 6 a.m. You go into the hall, you sit, then you have lunch, then you sit, then you have dinner. And, t- and then at like 7 p.m. you go to bed and then you wake up again and do the same thing. You do it for 10 days straight. What was that like? You go insane a little bit. The first few days as you're like defeating your old habits and agitations you go a bit insane like some people just left they're like i cannot do this so like up to day three day up the first three days were the hardest because you're breaking yourself in a bit but i remember walking away on day three because you get like breaks to walk every hour and i started chuckling to myself and giggling to myself and i was thinking oh fuck like am i crazy now <laughs> it's like am i the joker now like is this it? I've now permanently lost my sanity and now I'm just a crazy man walking around giggling. I just couldn't stop giggling for the whole day. I was like, this, this is it. I'm done. <laughs> it's a cool feeling. I've had that like off meditating a lot. You just start laughing uncontrollably. It's like you're just really fucking happy. Yeah. Because yeah. I just had so much peace in my mind. I had no thoughts going through it. I was actually concerned a little bit when I realized this because it was like I had stopped having thoughts. So I was like, oh, no, am I a vegetable now? Like, I've just ruined my brain. I'm not going to think anymore. Funny is that when we're at our most peace and we're at happiness, our mind kicks in and says, no, 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 no something's wrong. You can't yeah. be this happy. You can't be this still and focused. How dare you be this relaxed? Totally. Yeah. We have this full identity, like Western males as being like, we need to be thinking all the time. We can't be happy. We can't just burst out laughing. Like, we need to be this serious bleh, man who works for the men. Yeah. It was a good experience. Day seven, you start to get superpowers and that's where it gets fun. <laughs> well, how so? Have you done it? Have you meditated for 10 days? 
I haven't. I want to. Mm. Okay. You're not initiated yet. I'm not. I'm not. I spent the first three months of this year eating psilocybin and meditating for three hours a day, though. So that was- For three months straight. Three months straight. Yeah. What the fuck? Every day. <laughs> it was the best, man. That was the most personal growth that I've ever had in my life. Wow. Okay. Like, it was really, it was crazily big. It was when I started getting into Taoism, started getting into much more philosophy, thinking of how we work. It was a game changer for me in every single way of business, every single way of being a partner, every single way of living my life. It was awesome. You were able to sustain that for three months and it didn't wear off. Because I wasn't punching like 5Gs and like being whacked out of my mind. I was just using a smaller amount, which would intensify my meditation. Like I was using a TENS machine as well. So using a TENS machine to stimulate the vagus nerve, then plus also doing meditation out on the beach, plenty of sunlight. I wasn't eating a whole lot. I was doing a lot of fasting back then as well. It was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. But I really want to do like the 10 day meditation. So what happened for you at day seven? So I'm nervous to go back because it was the hardest thing I've ever done, without a doubt, mentally, the hardest thing, 10 days of consistent sitting there. And you're not allowed to move. This is the thing. Once you sit in your position, you are not allowed to move. You're not allowed to itch. You're not allowed to twitch. You're straight. You're a statue. For an hour straight, before I went in there, the longest I'd meditated for was 10 minutes. And I only did it a week before I went in because I thought I'd better warm up. (laughs) (laughs) And how did your warm up go? I was like opening my eyes and like <laughs> 10 minutes was quite difficult. And then I just went cold turkey in for 10 days. But by day seven, because they build you up to it, the guide there takes you through a structure each day, which gradually builds on top of the day before and builds on top of the day before. And I had previously viewed my head as, or my brain as separate to my body. I was like a consciousness separate to my body was my view before then. And then on day seven, suddenly everything connected and I was just, my brain and my head was my body. And I had this like, not on a logical understanding, but on a feeling level, I felt them connected. And then I had this realization deep, I'm like six hours into a meditation and I suddenly realized I can move my organs. I can move my internal deep muscles that I usually don't have control over. So I thought, all right, let's do it. And I did it. Like, just like lifting your arm. Like I could feel my body rumbling internally. Like there was vibrations physically in my body that started to move and unclick. And it was like I was getting out of bed and just stretching for the first time. And I was unclicking all my body, but it was internally down my gut and my back. How did that feel? It was empowering. Yeah. I've got a terrible back, terrible back pain. I got wedge shaped on my, some three bottom vertebrae, which causes a lot of pressure on my spine makes it very painful 24 7 it was like i started to unclick that like i was in there rubbing it out i did a youtube video on it that kind of described it for 20 minutes and it went viral as far as my youtube videos go it had like forty thousand views in six months or something back in the day it was like i was rubbing them out it's like you just imagine a big pain an eraser and you're just looking at it with your mind's eye and erasing it and i was just doing it section by section on my body squiggling all the way down and I could create this pulse, like flow. It felt like I was on heroin. Like I haven't done heroin, but done a lot of other stuff. <laughs> and it felt like I was on heroin and it was just pumping through my body with every heartbeat. I could feel a whoom, 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 whoom. It's great. It's great. That's super cool. So did it start alleviating your back pain? It did. Yeah. I disconnected from it and I got rid of some of it and I disconnected from the rest of it. And then gradually over time, as you're not meditating for 12 hours a day, 
it starts to creep back in. So it's still there, but I, I'm still at a state where I can leave the external world and I can go internally. And this is three years later and I can still enter my body and I can start looking around internally and fixing stuff with my head, which is great. I thought it was fantastic. It's like I had the force superpowers. I was did like you Star have any- Wars Jedi. So after day 10, like how did you act differently compared to when you started? I remember the first day walking around in freedom again and because I still had that pulse with every heartbeat. Like it was like a flood of heroin going through my body each heartbeat. Mm. And I could feel my heart going boom, boom, without like normally to feel your heart, you have to put your hand somewhere and feel the pulse, but I could just feel it. And I was just walking around like, you know, kicking back. And I just had this pulse of heroin going through me. It was great. I <laughs> just very chill for a few days. And after that, I meditated consistently for an hour a day for, or let's say, four hours a week on average for about a year. And now it's maybe 30 minutes a week, which is not as much as I'd like it to be, but it was just great. It's like I was on drugs the whole time. Did it? So I know for me, like when I went through my period, like earlier this year and I was like working on myself fucking hard, everything got so much better. Like business crushed it. Ideas got better. Like the things, the way that I was serving, I was far less. I used to be quite selfish. Maybe yeah. I am still, but like I'm far less selfish than what I was. And so like that crushed it like for me. And that was my experience. Like, did you notice any changes? Did you do anything cool afterwards that was like in ways of success? I had a lot more clarity without a doubt. Like it was like I was drunk going in and then coming out. It's like, you know, people that are addicted to drugs and they go to Bali and they go on those <laughs> cleansing camps. <laughs> it was like I had done one of those and I was super clear after it. It's like everything that I was muggy about and my fog in my brain was just gone. And then I just went all in on business. I was like, okay. Because when I was in Nepal, it was like I was in such a flow state. I could start to, this is coming from someone who is completely atheist. I could start to like manifest things immediately. And I had never, I didn't know anything about manifestation. I didn't know anything about, I didn't believe in any of it. And suddenly I was, I'd think something and 30 minutes later it would pop up somehow in Nepal. It would just freaking, it'll come to me. Can you give us an example? There was one particular day where I was walking down the streets and I was always very entrepreneurship. So I was looking for things I could flip from Nepal because they got so many crystals there and ancient artifacts and all these awesome things there that you're like, wow, why don't we have this back home? And I was walking along and I was just thinking, man, I could really use a joint right now. And Nepal smokes a shitload of weed. Like they are, it's just growing wild in the mountains and they have the best weed and every generation of the family smokes. (laughs) They love it. They're some of the best people. Um, I was thinking I could really use a joint. And then Two minutes later, this guy walks up and he says, hey, brother, you want to smoke? <laughs> I was like, all right, yep, this is good. And then he took me up to their shack and I was thinking, man, I'm hungry. And then another guy walks in and he's like, I got some food. <laughs> it's like, yes, okay, great. And then I was thinking, man, I could really use to take some home. And this gangster walks in next and he's got this leather jacket and he's got these tattoos and gold piercings everywhere and gold chains and i was like oh shit brought me into their lair and now i'm getting kidnapped by the mafia of nepal i was getting a bit freaked out because there's like three of these gangsters that walk in and he puts his hand down his pants into his jocks and he pulls out this massive bag of weed of hash (laughs) how'd it smell (laughs) smells like hash (laughs) it was massive and he, he sold me a big bag of hash and I was thinking, okay, I want to go exploring a bit. So they took me cruising along and they took me into, there was this awesome shop I found. They sold in Nepal. They're well known for their glass bongs. They hand blow these glass, beautiful glass, like multiple chamber bongs. <laughs> and they're absolutely amazing. Like you could make them a vase and just sit them somewhere and they look great. 
I was like, I'd really love to sell these. And then the friend that was taking me along on the motorbike, the next guy that he introduces me to suddenly has a factory that makes these bongs. And I was thinking, great, now I've got these bongs. Now I need a website. And then literally 30 minutes later, one of the other guys comes back and he's with this Bulgarian dude. I was like, hey, man, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm a website designer. Like, what the fuck? I was thinking, man, now I've got bongs and website. Now what I really need is uh, they've got these jackets everywhere. They sell these like Katmandu type jackets for 30 bucks each. He's like, I really want to start selling these as well. And then another guy walks in and he happens to own a freaking jacket factory <laughs> straight after. I was like, okay, this can't be real. Like if this is real, then if I'm just, something's going on here. If every time I think that I need something and then it appears, then uh, do this, do this sign to show me that it's true. It was something like, I tried to test it like you, you'd see in the movies with the gods, with the Vikings and they'll be like an eagle will fly over or some shit. I was like, all right, so I'll see a black eagle fly and a fucking black e eagle would fly over. It was nuts. Like for three days it lasted and everything I would think it would just seem to walk in three days straight. And I was convinced by the end of that, that I was God. Like it was nuts. So did you not want to then go back and continue meditating after that? Because that's a pretty fucking good life if you think of something and then it just appears. So here's the lesson there, right? Here's what it took me, the meditation. I spent nine months delusional thinking that i was god like i thought i was the god and everyone else was just my imagination for nine months and it was very depressing it was very sad like i was thinking oh, all these fucking you're just my imagination you don't mean shit and i'm really lonely because i'm the only god and this was my belief because you know i brought in the ego to this experience and i didn't like ask for that experience it just kind of slapped me in the face so i had the ego attached to those powers so i thought i was the god and then I tried to constantly create more things. Like you, you start to, it gets to your head a bit and you start to like try to enter the cheat codes. Like you're playing a game, <laughs> try to enter these cheat codes all the time and they stop working. I was like, what the fuck? Like I've lost my superpowers. So I was just depressed for like nine months because I couldn't uh, make things magically appear anymore. When I started meditating for 10 days, trying to get them back, I was trying to get my superpowers back. I realized that, look, you're not, the God, you're part of the energy that's out there and you do have the ability to control some of it, but you can't just sit back and make things appear. You have to actually hustle for them. You have to actually work for them. And the reason you're on this physical place is because there's physical work to do to get the physical stuff as well as want it. And then I realized that I needed to just work really, really hard because I like it as well. Like it keeps me busy and keeps me having fun. If I wanted lots of stuff, I had to work for it. There was no way I couldn't just think about it and appear. Charged all in on business. And is that when you started MGM? <laughs> I had a few things that I had started. I did start a sales and marketing company with four other guys. We were door knocking, selling solar panels. Four months of knocking doors. And this was right after the Australian government wiped their rebates off. So everyone thought the government was scamming them and they hated solar. So it was terrible. It was really hard. We made like four sales in four months. <laughs> so that <laughs> was terrible, but I learned sales and I learned communication, right? I was quite monotone and I didn't use arms. I thought people that use their arms to communicate or visuals to communicate were stupid because why don't you just talk? Like, why are you fluctuating and fucking like the Italians? They're very good with their body language. And I picked that up and I realized that it was important. I thought, why are we door knocking when I could probably just get leads some other way? And then that's what got me into digital marketing. I started flipping 
bracelets that I'd imported from China, like stone bracelets. I bought 300 of these stone bracelets and I sold four of them and gave up. <laughs> so I got 296 bracelets in my cupboard still. If you want. <laughs> I'd love one, bro. Yeah. And then I started marketing for gyms. After that, I thought, fuck this bracelet stuff. I don't really care about these cheap, shitty bracelets. How can I get business experience, real business experience? I thought, okay, I'll work with business owners. And who has a relatively high ticket offer that I can sell so I can charge them enough? Like a lot of people at the time in the agency space look like they're going after restaurants or they're going after chiropractors. Everyone was going after chiropractors or restaurants. I think, okay, I'll go after gyms then. And I go to gym. I like gym. I know a gym owner. I'll go to go target gyms. Then I started marketing for gyms. That was it. And then, so like when you started getting into it, like how'd you get your first break? The gym marketing for gyms, but there's another thing to get a gym owner to actually trust you and pay you. Like we all know gym owners. I'm good friends with a couple of them and they're tight asses. Like every single one of them. Like how did you get these guys to pay you? I was a regular at the local gym, like my first deal making. So I was quite nervous. The owner there, when I saw him and I said, hey man, can can we talk? I think there's some things you can improve in your marketing basically broke down with him i sat down with him and showed him a report i'd done on all the things that i think we could improve on i said i'll do it for a thousand bucks a month and i'll fix all this stuff and he said no 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 i'll give you 50 dollars a sale <laughs> so i oh, fuck it all right 50 bucks a sale so i was basically working for free because a sale is worth like what 800 bucks at this gym and i was getting 50 dollars, and i was working on commission only so i worked 45 hours piecing together a system using my engineering skills i pieced together this massive like marketing machine all flowed and moved all these pieces everywhere and then turned it on and i remember like the first day we had seven leads or something i was like holy shit i'm a genius <laughs> we're actually printing leads here we're printing money started screenshotting it and sending it to my mates like look guys i'm printing money this is crazy and then i realized that i needed to just go all in on marketing and become very very good at that because there's like there's not really many skills that will pay more than marketing if you're really god level at it So I just wanted to become God level at marketing because you're indispensable. Then you'll always have money if you're good at marketing. And that was the foundation of the system that we use at MGM still. It's just been reiterated and improved, but it took me like 45 hours to build out the entire flow. And we've just improved that at MGM. And then I joined a coaching program, paid them 15K, borrowed it. (laughs) And they taught me kind of how to get clients and how to do organic marketing. So you're already making money, right? You're already bringing leads in. Why'd you bother joining a coaching program? Life's short. I didn't want to fuck around wasting time. <laughs> Why would I wait? Why would I try to figure it out for myself for 10 years when I can pay someone to tell me how they did it? It's a fair point. Right. It's a big thing we see all the time though, is like we're hesitant to actually go and get coaching and, and pay for knowledge. Take the philosophy of I'll just buy everything. If someone's got something that I'm the easiest sale, I think that most people will ever get ever. Like <laughs> I'm either going to waste time or money. I'd rather waste money through that and how'd that course go look it was not worth it It wasn't worth 15k looking reflecting on it it was too expensive just trying to get out of the sun a little bit here but it did show me an organic strategy which was basically like the coaches teach now which is dm people and slide into their dms and add them on groups and and then get them on strategy call right i followed that i followed their script i got my first sale from some rural new south wales gym lisa and it was 500 bucks a month. And the next one was $700 a month. And the next one I charged 1200 a month. And I wanted to get to 2,500 a month. And then eventually I worked our way up to that. We got to 22K a month within five months. This was like mid 2018. We're at 22K a month using all organic. Decided, oh yeah, I've made it. I'm, I'm the best. <laughs> so I took a month off and traveled around the US. 
came back and hadn't really set up the business to run without me. So it was back to square one. So I just pumped some money into ads and started getting really good at Google ads. So basically we found that we could get a lot of leads with Google ads. And then we started to build out Facebook ads as well. And since then, those two have been the biggest driver of business, Google ads and Facebook ads, and just scaled. Like I hired my first employee late 2018 and then hired another coach, Evan Rubenstein, highly recommend. He did a public, he, in the 90s, he built a public run company. Like he'd listed it, he IPO'd it on the Australian Stock Exchange. Very smart ex-engineer who did this teleco company. And he basically taught me that a, a because we both spoke engineer, he taught me that business is just like an engineering system. You just need to inputs and your outputs and whatever happens in the middle and you need to measure it and have a feedback loop. And that's like, that's business, right? Having an input, output, feedback loop and something that it does in the middle. And it's all systems and structures. So I just started building business like that. Oh. Sick. And so how many employees do you have now? MGM has 30 staff at the moment. This is a decent sized business. Yeah. We had nine at the start of 2020, nine or 10, start of 2020, and then COVID hit and uh, we got fucked around for three months and then we just exploded. Like it sucked the life out of me. I wouldn't want to do it again because I was working 100 hours a week easily and I was very stressed because obviously COVID fucked the industry up very bad, especially in the early days when it first hit, everyone was freaking out and all the gym memberships were cancelled and no one had money. Everyone thought we were all burning to hell, right? Because COVID hit. But we were probably the only one, the only agency that I know, even the biggest one, even the biggest gym marketing agency. I have regular discussions with the CEO or the former CEO of that company. They're a bit larger than us, or they were larger than us at that time. And they collapsed during that time. They had like a 55% attrition rate every month of their gym owners. 55% per month, right? Doing marketing to gyms. Jesus. Ridiculous. And we were cruising at around 11% at that time. And then we managed to bring it down to 4%. We have a 4% attrition rate in the business, which is like unheard of. You don't really get that in B2B, a 4% monthly attrition rate. So that exploded us basically because we got our attrition so far down and our results so far up despite how broke literally every gym is because they haven't had any revenue. And then we started pumping them and we built up to 170 clients that were gyms that we manage. And I started taking over more gyms. I had one gym in 2019 and then 2020 hit and I decided, all right, if I'm going to take over a few more gyms, COVID's the time to do it. So I took over five more. Now I've got six gyms that I own and built the team to 30 staff with 170 gyms that we manage. Hectic. How are those gyms going now? Because COVID's not an easy time. You know, COVID has... I'm a persistent motherfucker. I am really fucking persistent. There's no doubt about it. Like objectively, you compare me to most people. I'm, I work so fucking hard and smart, but COVID is a tough beast. Like that is a bitch. <laughs> so, <laughs> look, pretty much, I don't know many gyms that are really thriving through COVID. Like there's some that are doing good, but you compare it to pre-COVID, it's bullshit really. Especially like even the US, they keep having fucking new mask mandates and lockdowns and, and Australia's just been a shitstorm, and a lot of people are scared to go to gym because they don't want to catch COVID. So, look, the, I don't think the industry is going to be the same for quite a long time. Quite hard. Like when I first entered business, right, Ty Lopez was a big influence on me. And he said, I went to the US and I met him, right? And he said, Do you know Ty Lopez? So, um, you know, Lamborghini man. He said, It's much easier to make it rich if you're the CEO in a booming industry than the CEO in a dying industry, right? It's, it's the industry that will more make you. 
you'd rather be a good CEO in a great industry than a great CEO in an average industry. So I had kept that with me. And then as soon as I saw the opportunity to build business around crypto, I was like, fuck, this is it. Like, Riley, this is your opportunity. You've been swimming against the current for two years now with COVID and you've managed to build the business 250% through COVID. You've grown the team 3X during COVID and you've taken over six gyms. If you manage to do all that in an industry that's literally dying or has already died <laughs> from COVID, <laughs> what can you do in crypto, right? This is the time to make your own Facebook and make your own Google. So I just went all into crypto. It's only really been the last two months that I've had it set up now with Madeline as the CEO and I'm now just the chairman and I'm all in on crypto and building building multiple projects in, in the blockchain space. Yeah. If, can you run us through what you're doing there? I consider myself quite fortunate because I've got real world business experience and I have a technical background and I really enjoy both. Whereas if you look at the blockchain space and the decentralized finance world and the crypto world right now, what it's mostly comprised of is you've got these very computer geeky coders and they're like, fuck the traditional finance system, <laughs> fuck the bankers, <laughs> we're they're creating calls. DeFi, it's all code, right? And they're very much in their computer. And then you've got this traditional business world who doesn't understand crypto and they're business people and they're not technical mm -hmm. people. I sit in this beautiful space in the middle where I understand both worlds very, very well. So the, the immediate opportunity to me looked like Obviously, it's not going to stay all crypto. You're going to have to merge with the real world at some time. And obviously, the traditional finance world is not going to stay because you've got this awesome new technology. So it's just going to become a dinosaur eventually. The trillion dollar organizations that run the world at the moment, they're not going to just sit around and let themselves die. So the only possible outcome is that they merge, right? So then I created DeFi Link with another man named Carl Alachka, who's he's from Dubai and originally Lebanon, then in Dubai. And he did a number of projects with the Dubai government listing all their cars on the blockchain. And um, he launched a number of crypto projects. So I started with him, co-founded with him. And basically we're building that bridge. We're building that bridge. We're building technology that is like a very simple, clean user interface to the entire crypto world because there's thousands of platforms and shitloads of them will scam you and shitloads of them you'll just lose all your money. And you have to be in there 24-7 like I am to really know how to make massive yield out of it. You can make good yield relatively easy, but massive yield is quite hard. So we're just plugging all those into our one investment hub. Basically, we're building an investment hub that applies all the best strategies to the crypto world. And you just like press a button and now you're rich. <laughs> it's basically it. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what's the catch though? That's a good question. In this bull market, Crypto has the risk that everything dumps. I think long-term crypto is inevitable. So as long as you hold your cards to your chest and you don't chicken out because it's halved in one day, which it does and it will do, <laughs> you just ride that fluctuation while we're booming because we're only at 3% adoption rate of crypto right now. So if globally, so 3% adoption rate, you're at the very early stages of this large curve that's about to hockey stick up. Uh, if we get 60% is the internet adoption rate of the world. So let's assume that, by the time crypto fully adopts, you might get 80% of the world on the internet, especially with what they're doing in Africa. So let's say you get a 60% adoption rate of crypto over the next five to 10 years, 60%. That means crypto as a whole is going to 20X, right? Just in market cap because of volume of people entering. 20X. We're in the early days of something that's going to 20X as a whole. So it doesn't really matter what you bet on. All of them are on average going to win a lot. So the risk is that it dumps and you get wrecked. 
And the risk is that some will just dump forever. Some coins will dump forever. So you diversify and our platform diversifies for you. And then the catch is you pay us a tiny little fraction of your earnings. You pay us like 1% of your performance fee. Yeah, gotcha. So really what we're betting on is we're betting that that we're going to go from 3% of the population on crypto up to, you know, somewhere in the realm of 60% eventually if it follows the trend of the internet. It's like the internet had to pave the ways because obviously crypto is built on the internet. So mm. crypt, uh, internet, the dot-com boom was this big event that everyone made these. And the dinosaurs, the, the billion-dollar companies out there now were built on the internet boom. Google, Facebook, fucking pick any Amazon, right? The ones that you always admire as like the bee's knees of business, Apple, they all did it in this dot-com boom. It's like computer phase, right? The next one on top of that is the blockchain phase. And it's already, all the roads have been paved. So now we're just going full bore and it's going to happen very fucking fast, much faster than the internet age did. So it's the best opportunity in the decade as far as, it's probably the best opportunity I'll ever see in my lifetime. Unless maybe we connect to VR and AI and become super robots or something. That'll be the next one. But so you're betting on the price going up is one thing, right? Mm. That's one thing. And what we're building the platform to do, because I don't, I'm not a, I want to hedge my bets, right? I want to make as much money as possible. I don't want a bit of a gambling man, so I'm quite happy to gamble a bit too, but I want to make passive yield as well. So we're building out a DeFi platform and we've got 10 people on the team already. We've got a suite of developers and we've already got a number of investors. We're about to raise five mil from some VC funds. So I'm excited for that, but we're making it so it actually generates yield. So you're not just speculating on price. We're making it so the assets that you do hold generate a yield. So we're building out like an investment account for businesses, which I think is ridiculous because you know I've got more gym members has a large pool of cash in the bank as reserve and Commonwealth Bank's paying us 0.1% interest on that, which is pathetic. Well, what the fuck am I going to do with 0.1% interest? So, <laughs> so totally. my own pain in that is that we're building out the platform so that a business can easily just plug their savings into it and they can get a 20% interest on dollars. If you compound 17% interest rate over five years, $225,000 roughly. For $100,000, you'll have $225,000. But if you compound 0.1% interest rate, you'll have like two grand extra. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing. It was so much less than inflation. Yeah, you're losing money. Yeah. You just wipe off 3% every year. <laughs> totally. It's crazy. I think crypto, like I'm, I'm in crypto and I love crypto. I think it's such a big fucking opportunity. Like if yeah. you look at particularly where we are right now, there's just so much cool shit going on all the time. New coins are popping off. The staking's getting better. It's more accessible. It's like, yeah. how crazy is it, man? Like I've, there's certain, as you're saying, on dollars, like you can put it into like multiple areas and you can get 20% on dollars. Yeah. Like you can put, put it effectively in the bank. I just find that the craziest thing ever. My share portfolio, and i got a financial advisor and whatnot, and they're really good. Um, they maybe one of the better ones going around. And they get, a, like in a good year, it's like 7 or 8% with yeah. all the other stuff. But you can put twenty. You can put in cash and you can get 20% on cash. It's insane. This is why I'm balls deep in it. <laughs> if anyone wants to learn more about what you do and what you're doing in that space, what's the best place for them to, to look up? Just follow me on socials, right? Riley James. Riley James is my new crypto name. So Riley James, find me on Facebook, Twitter, Insta, LinkedIn. Because I'm pumping shitloads of free content. Like I've just been recording shitloads and I've hired a full-time now uh, video, video editor and social media marketer just for pumping out free crypto content. So I got two full-time people pumping out free crypto content because I'm convinced that I'm going to be in a very good position if I 
just help a lot of people through this, right? Because there's so much fucking opportunity. So I want to make as much millionaires as I can. It'd be fun as fuck. So just follow me and you'll get shitloads of free value. Like, or you can go to defilink.tech is the website, defilink.tech, defi, D-E-F-I-L-I-N-K.tech. And we're about to, we've got our, it's in beta at the moment. We've got our first platform, DeFi Wonderland, released on beta on the test net on the Polygon chain. We're about to do the public sale of that after the private sale finishes for the VC funds. And then basically we've got doctors in blockchain. We've got university professors working on this. We've got former chairman of Commonwealth Bank is one of our advisors and investors, Adrian Hondros. We've got some very, very smart people working on this. And basically they're all loving crypto and they're the ones that are going to be figuring out where the assets within this platform are diversified and earning a yield. So it's going to be very, very difficult to outperform our platform for a tiny percent management fee. Um, and you just, it's all hands-free. So we're just building it up. So it's like hands-free for everyone. And you can let the experts make your money, make you crazy money. Not the worst option. Yeah. That's cool. Man, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. And to the listeners, I hope they enjoyed. They will, man. They will. It was awesome. Thanks for your time, bro. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, James. I hope you enjoyed the video. If you got something out of it and you want to learn more, click the link below or type in High Performance Conversations with James Can, and you'll be able to check out all the podcasts that we've done. We cover a stack of different topics, everything from getting your mojo back, overcoming anxiety, self-doubt, self-esteem, and learning from some of the industries and some of the world's top performers in both business and in health. Look forward to having you on there.